Good morning. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Romans 6, 11 through 14. Thank you. Thanks, Hudson. Right on. We are done, right? I came up with the okay time. All right. <laughs> you know, lately, I don't know, so I'm just... I'll just barge up. My turn. My turn. <laughs> if you don't normally come to Cornerstone, yes, this is how it actually goes a lot of the time. So, uh, but welcome. We're glad to have you all this morning. Um, if, if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd love for you to have a Bible. Um, there'll be some people coming down through the, uh, through the aisles, and they'd love to give you one. We not only sing, like Billy talked about, to worship Jesus, but we also just believe wholeheartedly that God's Word truly is God's Word. It is true, it, it's accurate, it's, it speaks into how it is that we're called to live life. It explains who God is and who we are. And so we're excited today. We're gonna open up, we're gonna be in the book of Romans. We've been trying to get through 6, uh, 11 through 14. I started, I think, three or four weeks ago. And then like last week, like Francis came in and thought, oh, I'm gonna say something, you know? Like he's, <laughs> like he's somebody, my gosh. No, the... The week before, we got to talk about what God's doing in Japan, which was so much fun just to hear what God's doing there. We've had Thomas Shear come in and just shared about what God was doing. So God's good. And so we'll, we'll buckle down and we'll get through verses 12 through 14 and what we're doing today. But I think one of the things that, that I've been really wrestling, yeah, wrestling through in my own life is the reality of how much the world has changed even just in the last 10 years. I feel like it's like happened whether, you know those moments, whether you want it to or not, it's just gonna change. And what's hit me, I think, a lot is not just that it's changed, but it's hit me also that the world that my kids are gonna grow up in is way different than the world that I grew up in. Now let's, <clears throat> Let's just be honest. I grew up in the 70s, which wasn't exactly a banner time, right, in the, in, in the world. But I do feel like the time they're growing up in is, is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be way different in how things get organized and played out. And I think one of the most difficult things is those of our kids that choose to follow Jesus, it's going to be very difficult to follow Jesus in the next and upcoming years. <clears throat> Now, I think we can react in one of two different ways. We can be scared and we can run away. I think that's what a lot of people want to do is they kind of want to just run. And we've talked about people running in different ways, whether it's running to move to a new place or, or running into kind of a commune or whatever they're running to. Or, and this is what I'm more wanting to do as we go through the book of Romans, remind us of who we are. We're not just anybody. We are kids of the King Most High. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We have a power that Jesus promised that when the Holy Spirit came, would come upon us and we would be able to be not just anybody, but witnesses, not only in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world, but in Simi Valley, California, in the 
the horrible reality of living in Southern California where it's 75 to 85 on a regular basis, right? I mean, it's just, but even here, and I think in not only ourselves, but in prepping our children for the world in which we live in, we have to constantly be reminded because we get spiritual amnesia of who we are. Our God right now is enthroned with angels worshiping him nonstop. Jesus Christ is enthroned at his right hand. He is fully king. He oversees all. And one day he is coming back to exercise his authority. <clears throat> and we will enter into paradise forever. But we can never forget Jesus is king. We have to live that and believe that wholeheartedly. But what we've been talking about is it's one thing to think about it with our mind. And so this is where Paul has to tell us, you have to know certain things. So in other words, we do have to study God's word. We are not anti-intellectual. We want to know certain things in our minds, but we also have to, and we talked about this also last week, consider, in other words, we have to also take our mind's eye and put it on our treasure, which is in Jesus. In other words, our heart. So we need to know Jesus with our head, our heart. But now we're going to talk about today, we need to know Jesus also with our hands. We need to experience Jesus and walk with Jesus and know Jesus. And let me just say this. I think the greatest reason that the youngest generation is, younger generations are walking away from the church is not because we don't have good Bible studies or not because we don't have rousing services. They want to see the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit in action. And church, you're the church. This is the place that God's spirit dwells in. So any place that they can watch God dwell and work amongst his people, let me just say, we're it. We're it. And so this is what Paul's trying to get across to the Romans. He doesn't want them to forget this. And last week, we talked about the idea of our affections being drawn to Jesus. We have to put our mind's eye, our treasure on Jesus Christ. But not only that, we need to know certain things. But today, what we're going to do is we're going to dive in and we're going to wrestle through then how do we practically begin to know Jesus? And we're going to start by looking at verse 12. Now, if you got your Bibles, open up there. And let me just read it to you so we can kind of understand it. And this is going to be our kind of our run-in into the text that we're going to look at today. He says this. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Now we know every time we look at the word therefore in the text, you are good Bible students, we ask, what is the therefore what? Therefore. Well, the therefore is there because he's pointing back not only to verse 11, but he's pointing back to verses 1 through, through 10 in which he has just laid out all of these amazing realities. And so all of these things are being brought into this, but now we need to know exactly what he's talking about here. And Paul's going to be much more precise about it by the time we get to verse 13, but I think there's, there's two things we kind of have to wrestle with if we're going to understand what's going on here and how to be these people God's called us to be. The first thing, and if you take notes or if even you write in the Bible, he's acknowledging within verse 12 is that in this life, we still struggle with sin. Sin is still here. Even though it's been defeated, Jesus conquered it on the cross. He raised again and defeated death. We must never forget that believers don't have somehow this serene 
existence where somehow everything about sin has been blissfully eliminated because that violates everything Paul communicated, like in Galatians 5.17, where he, he talks about this reality for the desires of the flesh, right? Wage war against the desires of the spirit, vice versa, the spirit against the flesh. And he finishes so that we don't do what we want to do. But the key here that we need to see is that sin is personified, and sin is not only personified just anything, but look down in verse 12. It's personified as like a king who rules over the lives of people. Before you were a follower of Jesus Christ, by the time we get to verse 17 next week, what we're going to learn is, is that every last one of us, before by grace we were drawn to Jesus and by faith when we trusted and we surrendered and we made our allegiance to Jesus Christ, we were enslaved to sin, a power. Sin is real. It's something that is, is something that, and here's a, a word for you. I learned it because I watched the, the, the TV show, The Crown. Ready for this one? It's the sovereign. You like that word? I didn't know it until I watched The Crown. But we were slaves. Now here's the exhortation. Look at this. But even though we used to be slaves, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign. Now what does this mean? It is a conscious decision that in spite of sin, that we look out there and as it rules over the entire world, this is a conscious decision amongst us as followers of Jesus Christ that while sin is a monarch, we will not let it in any way ever be considered a monarch amongst us. It doesn't have any rights whatsoever. When Jesus Christ died, he canceled sin. He canceled the debt that was against us in regard to sin. He defeated it. We learned that in Colossians 2 by nailing it to the tree. And though, in fact, sin has a dominion in this world, it no longer has a dominion over us. It was the illustration I used last week about the idea of somebody who was the, the, um, uh, the, the tenant and then what's the landlord? Oh my gosh, I can't remember the word. That person no longer has it over you. Its power has been broken. So while sin is still a battle, we have to start seeing ourselves. We are on the other side. Our Lord is master is no longer sin. It is King Jesus. Now with this, though, there's a second thing that he points at. And look down in verse 12. He uses this word mortal body. Now, he's going to tie it this idea of members by the time you get to verse 13. But instead of sin reigning, we, under the authority of King Jesus in this atmosphere of grace and this power, this force, this, this love that he's talking about, he says, what I want you to do is not only not consider sin your sovereign anymore, but I want you to join God in bringing about this good reign. And he talks about it now being in our mortal body or our members now, here's where we really start to understand what it means to reign. What is, what is Paul talking about when he's calling us to reign under King Jesus in this grace that we've been talking about? Well, this mortal body or this member, and, and, and I've been reading and reading on it. Man, there's so much ink that's been spilled on it. But I think if you boil it all down, it's not just our hands or our feet or our nose. I think that's the way people tend to think it is their, our mortal body as opposed to what would be our glorified body one day. But by connecting it to members, he's connecting it to something so much bigger. And I would say this, he's connecting it to everything that we've been tasked to, to steward in this life. 
So no doubt it includes things like our hands and our feet and our noses, but it also includes our emotions, our, our thinking, our desires. It also includes our jobs and our roles that we have, our, our families that we're a part of. Everything that we've been called to be a part of, he's now looking at it and saying, don't let sin in any way reign in those places. Don't let sin reign in your marriages. Don't let sin reign in your children. Don't let sin reign in the place that you work. And again, not that we can control our workplace, but no, as you work there, you don't bring about a reign of wickedness that we're gonna talk about in a second that is contrary to the bringing about of the right in God's world. I want you in every facet of life to learn from a gracious God what it looks like to operate in those places in which now, like in the future, when you reign in new creation, God, what does it look like for your reign to come in this place? For all of you that are students in here, let me just speak to you about school. Some of you are homeschooled, which is awesome. Some of you are private schooled, which is awesome. And some of you are public schooled. At home, I know your parents are tough to be around. But let me tell you something. You're asked to reign there, and the way that you're asked to reign now within home is to obey your parents. The way that you bring honor to Jesus, that you may go well with you all the days of your life, is to honor them. If you go to private school, let me just say this, especially if you go to a private Christian school, just because you go to a private Christian school doesn't mean necessarily that everyone there is a Christian. In fact, I would say a lot of them aren't. What does it look like in your schoolwork? And again, I don't mean we have to get all A's. I mean, gosh, I was lucky if I got D's sometimes, but I always told myself, C's got degrees. That's what I kept telling myself. <laughs> Parents right now are like, <laughs> it's bigger than your grades. It's bigger than your sports. It's bigger than your accolades. It is bringing King Jesus into your school with you, especially if you're in a private school or a public school. Let me just say this. In a public school, none of the rest of us can go there. You are the ones representing King Jesus there. Man, what a thrill and an opportunity to realize we are the representatives to bring about this good reign. Now watch what he does though there. Now he's gonna, he's gonna grab this and in verse 13, after conveying this idea, he's gonna lay out now two concepts in verse 13. Look down in verse 13. He's gonna talk first about a negative and a positive. Look, look about how he's gonna talk about how to bring about the good reign. Verse 13, to do this, quit or do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. In other words, what does that mean? That is learn over time, what does it look like not to present my sin or my life any longer so my mind, my tongue, my hands, my feet, my pocket, but my marriage as tools to be used like sin wants me to for unrighteousness. Don't use them anymore in a way that is contrary to what God is doing in this world to right it. Instead, fight against that. Purposely and intentionally say to yourself, I will no longer use all of these different things that God has given me oversight over. I will be constant. I will be vigilantly in guard over all these different things to not use them for unrighteousness, for wickedness, for everything that God is somehow doing in this world to do right. I'm not going to work against him. Now, this is really crucial because it, within it is going to lay out two worlds. You are either working to join God and writing his world or you are not. That means currently right now, if you're somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ, let me just be really honest, you are a slave to sin and the outcome of being a slave to sin that we're going to learn about next week is death. 
We'll explain it more late next week. But I think for those of us that are followers of Jesus in here, this is really important because sometimes we can think, well, you know, I'm not really working against Jesus. I'm not really working to help him to right the world, but I'm not really working against him. If you are floating through life, you are actually working against what God is doing in this world. There is no two different ways. If you are floating, doing nothing, just operating in this life, you are being used now by sin to operate in unrighteousness or wickedness. There is no floating in following Jesus. I think that sometimes, and again, when I was even thinking about my own life, I was like, no way. Every time that I float, every time that I just show up into my house, and, and again, I, I don't know how you guys are, I spend a half an hour in the office when you get done with work just preparing to go home. Don't tell my wife and kids I said this. Why? Because I want the good reign of Jesus in my house. And my heart's not ready to go home a lot of times. I don't want to float as a dad. Gosh, I don't want to float. I don't want to just show up and kind of exist in my home. My gosh, I don't want to be the dad that sits there on his phone nonstop all the while. He has this phenomenal opportunity to bring about the good rain inside of his home. I don't want to be the dad that comes home and lackadaisically kind of lets mama float through this existence of trying to figure out how to walk in the home. And, and, and if you're a single parent, oh my gosh, how the church is desperately needing to come alongside you. There's all these realities don't float unless you're on the water. <laughs> There's no floating. We can't. We have to stop. There's so much at stake here. I think sometimes we don't think it's a big deal, and yes, God's grace is amazing. But we can't float. What's the other thing then Paul says? Okay, if we're, if we're not going to float anymore, what do we do then? Verse 13, look what he says here. And while you're doing this, and then the idea is I want you to take positive actions there, but present yourselves, your, your mind, your tongue, your hands, your feet, your pocketbook, your, your marriage, your children, your job, to those, to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, don't do one but in the same action, I want you to instead choose to do the other. And the idea here is not only that it's just a once for all kind of decisive action, but the more issue is I want you to kind of in a continual, ongoing way on a daily basis, keep making these decisions that I'm going to battle against sin. I'm going to say no to this. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to now say yes to what God wants me to do. It's aligning our lives and our stewardship to what God's called us to, to God's good right ends. I was thinking about it in my own life, in my marriage. It's, it's aligning the ends of what God's called me to do, to, to come alongside my beautiful, blood-bought wife and figure out how to join Jesus and seeing her transformed in the image of who Jesus wants to be, not just showing up and saying, woman, where's the food and why are the kids a mess? It's like, no. By the way, note to yourself, don't do that. It's coming alongside of her and saying, oh, Lisa, we've been entrusted with this house and these kiddos and this world. It's going on an adventure with my wife. I think we forget sometimes, man, marriage is an adventure. That's why he gives us kids to remind us. Oh, but every one of those kids too, man, 
I look at all four of my kiddos and I'm just reminded over and over and again, this is the adventure then God's called into, into them into my life. And all the time I, I have to ask for forgiveness that they're part of my world. I'm sorry, kids. Like, welcome to this chaos. It's your dad. But it's inviting them in and joining them in that. It's aligning my household, everything to say, God, we're going to be a route about what you're about in writing this world as we deal with sin in our own lives and needing to be righted. Paul says, this is why I've called you. And this is why I think the section is called hands. We got to learn how to do it. I've, I've told you all that I'm in the, in the middle of remodeling my house. And I've told you, I'm like, I'm so inept. Oh my goodness. If you had Tim the tool time, I would be like opposite. I know nothing. But as we've worked on the house, it's amazing. I've learned things. Here's what I've learned. You ready for this? Don't touch a live wire. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Don't do that. I've learned that when you're operating a saw, don't let your hand touch the blade. I've learned a drill can go into your hand. I've learned all kinds of amazing realities, but we don't learn these amazing realities until we get out there and do it. The Christian life is not meant to be sitting around in a Bible study, sitting there patting each other in the back going, oh, isn't that this amazing concept? Or even to go, oh, my heart is so gripped, so gripped. No, it is meant to take all that amazing truth that we know and a heart that gets gripped by Jesus and then go live in this life. And by the way, we fail and we make a mess. And this is where God's grace, his power and force and his grand love steps in because he knows that we're his children and we make messes. But darn it, aren't we out there at least trying? We're called to live it. And I love this idea. Because as I turn from one, this is what happens. It's not reactive theology anymore. It becomes proactive theology. And I'll explain what I mean by that in just a second. But I believe too much of our time following Jesus is spent in, in reactive or corrective theology when we sin. In other words, we're always asking the question, what do we do after our sin? And oh, praise God for verses like 1 John 1, 9, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, praise God for that reality because we don't always succeed. It's a wonderful truth. But as I turn from my sin and I begin to join God in what he's doing, I begin to be proactive away from what I shouldn't be doing and proactive towards what I should be doing. In other words, by joining God in what he's doing, I'm actually being preventative, keeping myself from sin. I think we spend way too much time dealing with reactive theology when we should spend way more time dealing with how do we live proactively with Jesus? I mean, think about it. At the end of the day, the worst case scenario inside of like how we care for ourselves even on a daily basis is if you don't care for yourself, you will be constantly in a state of reaction. If I care for my body and what God's called me to, I'm gonna be proactive. Therefore, if you think about it from this standpoint, it is not a good idea to think that a quadruple bypass surgery is the way to deal with a filled heart artery on an ongoing basis, but it's actually learning to be proactive, eating right, exercising. I was reading about the coronavirus this week. Oh my goodness, don't read about it. 
I kept having to tell myself, Jesus is on his throne, even with the coronavirus, you know? This is what they said. This is the boiled down. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do if coronavirus comes to Simi Valley? This is all they got for you. All of it is preventative, like things like wash your hands. Now, here's another thing I learned, though. Did you know, though, it affects men at a far greater rate than women? What that means is, is that women wash their hands more than men, right? I think that's what it is. No, it's actually an autoimmune issue, but it's a whole other issue. Proactive. The proactive things we do in following Jesus are crucial. And he's given us all kinds of preventative methods to, to, to walk through. He's given us preventative methods like God's spirit. My goodness, God alive in us. What are we going to do? God's word. He's given us prayer. Oh, just that thrill of coming before the throne of grace and crying out to God and knowing that he hears us. He's given us his people. And it just hit me this week. We need each other so badly. In James 5, it talks about the reality that there's this way in which we can be preventative in one another's lives to keeping one another from sin. God is amazing. And Paul, as he's talking about this, he wants us to get this, but he also wants us to understand, and I sometimes hear people say this, you know, I'm just so glad grace has no strings. Let me, let me just fill this one in a little bit so that we get it. Grace is totally free. There's no doubt about it, it's a gift from God, but it has all kinds of strings attached. Grace will not let you ever get satisfied to be ruled by the master of sin. Grace will constantly be working so that we see the greatness and the grandness of Jesus so that we bend our knee to him and not to sin. Grace will not stop until you learn how it is to use what God has given you for his fame and our good. And we're going to come back to that next week. Grace has all kinds of strings because God's fame and his work in our life is dependent upon it. It would be shameful for God to just kind of say, here's my grace, but I hope it works out for you. No, God is so different. He dives into our lives and he transforms us. He gives us the freest gift that has the most strings attached you've ever seen because he won't quit in our lives. Think about it, Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you, what? Might complete it? Eh, I don't know if I'm gonna get her done. Maybe, might, will, will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. It's a grace that won't quit. But not only now does it create this new reality of new habits in our lives and create this reality of being proactive, but I was thinking about it the other day. It's beyond that. It's, it's preventative from the nature that, like Ben Franklin, I love how he said it. He said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I didn't know he also said this. A little precaution before crisis occurs is preferable to a lot of fixing up afterward. <laughs> Think about it. He's saying, my goodness, Paul is going, no longer invest any more into this world. Invest your whole world into this. And God has given us all these preventive measures, but let me go a step further when we're looking at verse 13. I think the consideration that is not less than habits of prevention, I love that there's gonna be these new habits that God's gonna form in us. It's not just that we're to consider and the practice and that somehow we're dead to sin, but look down in verse 13. It says, to be alive to God in Christ Jesus, be alive, be alive. 
When I say that word, be alive, what comes into your mind? What comes into my mind is on one level, I remember one time I was in Poland and a bunch of kids saved a guy's life and he wasn't breathing. And you know when a person, after they've been not breathing for a while, suddenly breathes? <gasps> he drew air into his lungs. But it's not just that somehow we're surviving. To be alive is now at verse four. If you look back in verse four, to walk in newness of life. We can be different. Even when things are difficult, even when we're walking through sickness, even when we're walking through struggles in our marriages, even when we're having difficulties in our families with our parents or our kids, even when we've lost our jobs or gained a job, even no matter what it is now, his point is, is you as a follower of Jesus Christ, our lives are now Christward, sin-destroying, righteous-producing direction. We are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, this closeness of tie that we have between the saved and the Savior has absolutely changed transformed us. And if any group of people on this planet should be alive, it is those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We shouldn't be dour and sour. I'm serious. With the election time coming up, you're going to hear me saying this over and over again because I get so sick of God's people going, oh no, what are we going to do? What if we feel the burn Bernie Sanders becomes president. What's going to happen? Jesus is going to be on his throne and the gospel's going to go forward. That's what. You can't stop the gospel. In fact, if things get worse, you know what I've found? The gospel goes forward in a greater way. And I think sometimes the reason that we want certain rulers is not because we want to join God, but because we like our life of floating through and we want a ruler to give us what we want versus a ruler that may not give us what he want. And we're going to have to fall on our knees in front of a great and holy God and beg him to do a work. But dang it, the gospel will go forward and people will be transformed. So no crying this season, even if we feel the burn. Or on the other side of it, if you don't like Trump and he's making America great again in a way you don't like, well, golly whiz, aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is going to make really things great again? So that's where we're at. Now, I think this is why, verse 14, he said, sin will have no dominion over you. Sin won't. I want to just finish this way as we kind of draw things to a close. I think there are some people in here that don't know Jesus, and let me just talk to you for just a little bit. If you have never bent your knee to King Jesus, you will never know what it means to be alive. You will think you want to know what it means to be alive, and you will seek out for yourself all kinds of ways that you think you can be alive. On a personal level, I tried it all. I tried to think, oh, if I just got knowledge inside of my head, then I would be someone who is alive. Then I thought, oh, if I could just have sexual experiences of all kinds, then I would be alive. Then I thought, oh, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's all these different things. I'm just here to tell you, you can quit searching for that thing that will make you alive. There's only one thing that will ever make you alive, and that is truly King Jesus. And you can quit bending your knee to all these other things. You can bend your knee to King Jesus. You can come to him, trust, surrender to him, make an allegiance to him. And I promise you, God will transform you and make you different. And you will find out what it truly means to be alive. To the rest of us, Cornerstone, I've always loved this church. I love this church. 
I spoke at another church this week. It was good. You know, it was a marriage conference, and I loved the people. But, oh, my gosh, you can, I hope you can tell I love being here. This is, the peop- this is my people. This is the ones that we're serving Jesus with. But I think a lot of you in here, let's be really honest, you're floating. And it's time to stop. This idea of turning from one thing to another is what the Bible actually calls repentance. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I think some of you even right now, you need some time with the Lord just to tell him, Lord, I know I've been floating with you and Lord, I know that's sin. I think just confessing to him and the beauty is, like I read earlier, 1 John 1, 9, aren't you so thankful? Oh gosh. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. No way. But repentance is not just acknowledging what you've done wrong. It's telling God, God, would you empower me to join you in what I need to do? So I'm just gonna give a little time right now. I'm gonna bring the band up. I'm gonna let them play. I think for me, and I, and I put myself in that category. I was telling my wife when we were driving to go speak, I just said, you know, Lisa, in our marriage, and our family, gosh, I'm just floating. She was like, you are? Confession, I am. And I get it, you know, I'm not out killing kittens or running over people or calling older ladies bad names or anything. But I, I'm floating. We can't float. We can't float, Cornerstone. God's called us to so much more. Don't settle when God is offering us life and life like we could never imagine. So in this time right now, I'll just trust Billy when it's time to start singing together, we'll start singing. But the next few moments are just all yours. If you need to deal with sin, maybe you're not just floating, maybe you do have some sin you need to deal with in your life, I'll be over here, we'll have some other people over here just to pray with you. If you wanna come down here, I don't even care, you can come down here, you can, you can pray the stairs. I know for some of you that really helps you to just focus on that. No floating. Instead, go get all that you can in Christ Jesus. And so in the name of the Father who created all things and in him, oh, is life. In the name of the Son who came and showed us what life was and defeated death by dying and then rose from the grave and defeating death by living. In the name of the Holy Spirit who gives life. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. I bless you this week as you find life in King Jesus and all God's people said.